I'm Aria Schwartz, and welcome to the Windsider Show, where it's all about the W. WNBA free agency is picking up steam this offseason, and many big names are unrestricted free agents. I'm joined by Windsider staff writer Owen Pence to discuss free agency and his free agency raking article that is blown up. If you like our show, please consider joining our Patreon community, patreon.com backslash Winsider. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the W. And don't forget to see our amazing staff's written content over at Winsider.com. While you're there, check out the overseas tracker. It's live. You can go see where your favorite WNBA players are playing overseas all in one place, broken down by their WNBA team. Owen Pence, glad to have you on the show. How you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm I'm glad to be here. It's uh it's snowing out in uh in Brooklyn right now, which is you know, a little bit a little bit concerning, but but I'm happy to I'm happy to have a Christmas season, you know, holiday season. Hey. That, hey, for me it's Hanukkah season. So either way, whatever. But um <laughs> it, I'm I'm worried about the snow hitting DC. I hope it doesn't come this way. See, I'm used to I'm I'm from Portland, Maine, so I'm used to an earlier an earlier snow. So I almost forgot about it this year, and now it's just kind of hitting me out of nowhere. But it's good. It's 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 basketball weather. I like it. Oh yeah, the W should definitely put on a snow themed game. Um, well, it's an interesting time in the WNBA world right now. As I said, we're going to be talking about free agency. Your article, the three articles you had, uh, breaking down the biggest names in free agency, uh, ranking them. There's a lot of big name WNBA players who are entering unrestricted free agency, which means they can negotiate with any team. They can go to any team, do whatever they want. We're not going to get into restricted cord uh, and all of that stuff. But just keep in mind, these are the only players that have full freedom of movement. If you want more information on that, you can check out Owen's articles on winsider.com. And you'll, I believe in the first article, you break down what all the information is. I think the interesting aspect of this and for every sports league out there is so much attention for professional sports league goes on during the offseason. And everyone gets to kind of put on their GM cap and say, Oh, Candace Parker is going to go to hometown Chicago. No, Candace Parker is going to go to Atlanta because uh, Turner is is based out of Atlanta and she has a contract with Turner. There's all these things. I mean, and and typically historically in the W, we don't see these player movements. I mean, some of the play some of the biggest name players that we've ever seen move teams is Elena Deladon. Okay, she demanded a trade. Sylvia Fowles. Okay, she demanded a trade, but not so many of them were moving under unrestricted free agency. Honestly, short of the goat Simone Augustus, um, who really shocked the world. I, I remember like literally my mouth dropped and I was short of breath reading that on the DC Metro when that news broke. I believe it was late February or maybe early January. No, it was probably February based on the dates uh, of 2020, right before all the craziness of COVID hit. But I think this is one of the exciting aspects of free agency and with the new CBA. It does allow a little bit more movement. And some of the teams, now, last last free agency period, Owen will back me up on this, it was a lot more exciting than we're used to in the W. And I think one of the interesting aspects of that is 
now that we're in year two or entering year two of the CBA, you're going to see some GMs kind of have their hands tied where they made some moves this past season that has kind of forced their hand this coming season. Um, you know, Cheryl Reeve has been very vocal about that. She tried to hit some home runs during free agency last year, was not able to. She's under the impression um, based on, you know, the ins and outs that she knows as head coach and GM that she feels they should be in a better position as far as salary cap to bring some big name players on if they want to. Now, what that means, who that means, I don't know. But we're going to get into that into some different episodes. This episode, we are breaking down your list, Owen. And Owen, why don't you uh, give me a recap of numbers 20 through number six, top to bottom? Let's do it. All right. Uh, see, I like this. You're keeping me on my toes already because I had I had part three of the free agency rankings open. Part two and part one feel like distant memories. So let's let's see how good my rookie are. rookie mistake going. I know for real, for real. Um, all right. So, it, you know, this was this was an interesting list. I think that um, the difficulty honestly came uh, kind of at the cutoff point. Um, I found that maybe I would say the top 15, let's go with the top 15 players were like surefire starters. Um you, you know what you're going to get, and these are players you can slot into your rotation, even if you're a current playoff team, basically anyone in the top 15 seem to be, uh, you know, for sure a starter on all 12 teams. The final five spots was a little, was a little bit more um, of, a, of a kind of look at players that could slot in on some benches that are, that are really good at specific things. But in terms of maybe that overall value, that's kind of why they slid to the bottom. So, so a quick recap here: those those five players from sixteen to twenty uh, in uh, in descending order: Candice Dupree at twenty, Tiana Hawkins at nineteen, Natalie Achanwa at eighteen, Tina Charles at seventeen, and Raquana Williams, the microwave, at sixteen. So, I, I found that those players you know, really valuable. Obviously we saw with Raquana Williams this year, what, what she can do from a, a scoring standpoint. Um, but those are probably players that you, you look at the top, you know, say final four teams from this season. None of those players are, are going to be starting on those teams if they have all of their pieces available. 15 through 11, this is where we start to get into the starter territory, real solid players, Erica Wheeler, Amanda Zowie B, Benajah Laney, uh, who's someone that I think, you know, you, you you spoke briefly about Cheryl Reeve and how she's going to attack this current offseason. I don't think anyone makes more sense for what they need uh, than Laney. Um, Kayla McBride is at number 12 and Jasmine Thomas at 11. And then we enter the top 10. The top 10 was part two of my rankings, and this is where it really started to get difficult um, because I I kind of said this in in the final piece of my rankings. Basically, if you ordered these top 10 and just did a randomizer and and came up with a random order, it might be as coherent as what I as what I put out there. There's a lot of <laughs> ways that you could rank these these players. Uh, I had Cheyenne Parker at 10. Chelsea Gray at nine is I think somebody who I may have had a lot lower than the the consensus might have been. I think a lot of people on the open market might not care that she that she kind of delivered a clunker in the playoffs this year. They might have her higher because of her age, because of the position she plays. I I had a well. Also, I mean, not not to cut you off real quick, but I yeah, think something else. Uh, another aspect of it was, you know, 
just thinking about it so so many times over the past few years uh i've heard chelsea gray referred to as like this is her team she needs to kind of take over i could see her like not to knock her i still like the jury's still out on if she has that ability to be that star of the la sparks and bring them to a championship uh as that leader but i think also you know looking at most of the teams if she were to shift over to a different team in free agency I don't think other teams would be putting her in that position, which maybe is a reason that some GMs would rank her a little bit higher. Also, you know, she's what arguably, I mean, I think pretty clear, at least in my mind, a top three point guard and she ain't number three in the league. Um, so just an interesting aspect in regards to that. Sorry, continue. No, absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think she's, you know, I think she's cl- pretty clearly the second best point guard in the league. Although I, I do think you could make arguments otherwise. I do think that, Jasmine Thomas is someone that uh, provides maybe more consistent value on one side of the ball. As in, if we're looking at offense and defense, Jasmine Thomas's defense might be more consistent than anything in Chelsea Gray's game. But obviously the ceiling with Gray is much higher and we've seen her do it on the highest level in the finals at a very efficient rate. And so that's why she was ranked higher. Um, But it's an interesting conversation. Regardless Moving on, um, <clears throat> I kind of cheated with the next two. 7A was Emma Mieseman. 7B was Ariel Powers. That was basically a shrug, uh, my version of a shrug in written form. I, I conducted a Twitter poll to see if, if my Twitter followers could help me out because I just, I don't know. It's like they, it's apples and oranges. They bring completely different things. Um, they're both really valuable in their own ways. And, and again, so much of this, is completely subjective, right? If you're a GM, you have specific positions that you need to fill. You have certain cap restrictions. So it's really not a level playing field. And that's why this exercise was less about the actual rankings where people ended up and more just an excuse to kind of present the top 20 free agents and start to get you know people's minds going in different directions in terms of where these players will end up, what they bring to the table. And then... Uh, Six, rounding out part two, was Alicia Clark. This was another one that people seemed to to have a lot of variance in terms of whether they believed the ranking was was fair or not. I think some people were kind of, uh, had a bit of a raised eyebrow in terms of somebody who's, uh, you know, 33 and coming off their best season uh, being ranked this high. Um, and, in, and, in, and in my defense, I was kind of like, well, she's coming off her best season. That probably bodes well for the future. No, she does things that that uh, seem to be conducive to aging pretty gracefully in the WNBA. She shoots, she plays defense. It's not like she's incredibly athletic uh, in a way that that she's going to you know suffer a major drop off. So that's why she uh, she's sixth, and that kind of sets up our top five here. Yeah, and <clears throat> I gotta say, you know, for Alicia Clark, uh, reading the the last line in your article, uh, talks about her going to New York, a, a good fit in New York, not going to New York, a good fit in New York, a good fit in Vegas, money in Minnesota. Thinking about the like a player that you know when you talk about what Minnesota needs, I, I think it's pretty clear. You know, they they want someone who can play some lockdown defense, but can hit the ball deep. That's something that they've struggled with over the past couple of years. But having the ability of adding that and then obviously, you know, throwing a vet savvy uh, player like Alicia Clark onto New York, a, a heavy young team would be a game changer for them. And I agree with you in putting her that high because 
at the end of the day, she's, you know, she's not known for being the fastest player. She's not known for, you know, having the craziest handles or, or honestly, none of her skill sets are things that you fully expect to drop off the older she gets, right? Like she's going from college, you know, she was a big, so she has all that post work. She was undersized when she came into the league. And, and, you know, if you shameless plug Winsider film room, we had her on, it's one of our uh, biggest viewings of our Winsider film room. And she talks very candidly, very in depth about in her college days when she transferred uh, colleges, part of the reason was her coach said to her, like, you have the ability to be in the WNBA. But if you're going to be able to do that, you need to grow your skill because you're going to be undersized as a big. So you need to grow your guard game. Um, and she obviously was able to do that. Defense has been a ridiculous aspect of her game, the three point shooting, the post work, and then what I like to call her signature floater. Um, but yeah, sorry, let, let's get into the top five. I'll let you read off number five and then we'll discuss. Yeah. So number five is, you know, very interesting, a fellow member of the Seattle front court, at least currently. And I think that six and five, uh, I've been mentioning in tandem quite a bit when you're looking at Seattle's off season, Seattle's winter and kind of the decisions that they have to face here going forward as they, you know, attempt to defend their, their wobble title. Uh, number five for me is Natasha Howard. Um, Howard is someone who, you know, I love talking about because I felt that she was one of those players this season. And, and I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this. She was one of those players this season that to me, the narrative and the, 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 the Twitter jokes got rolling very early on in the season uh, kind of at her expense. She had a she had a few kind of clunky offensive games to start the season. People were were starting to murmur, you know, what what's wrong with Natasha Howard? Where's the Natasha Howard from 2019, et cetera, et cetera. And then we kind of stopped talking about her and we never really revisited uh, you know, her season even after it ended, but maybe some people did, but it seemed like the general conversation surrounding the W was, was never really Natasha Howard centric when we were talking about the Seattle storm. And that was just curious to me because going back and looking at the numbers to me, there was really no drop off to me. It was simply a situation of, of her having to, to, you know, respond to the fact that some of the, the storm stars were back in the fold. Sue bird is back. Brianna Stewart's back, and now everything about how you have to operate and what is being asked of you, especially on the offensive end, is very different. And so I just think that that she kind of got the short end of the stick narratively, um, and she didn't really deserve it. You know, I went back and the the one uh, advanced stat that I included in in my article here as it pertains to Natasha Howard, this is uh, per ho- her hoop stats was uh, defensive win shares per 40 minutes. And I like the per 40 minutes aspect of this stat because it adjusts for playing time and role, basically. So it's saying, okay, yeah, we understand that that she shouldered a heavier burden in 2019, but on a per minute basis, you know, where is she, is she rating defensively? And the answer per her, her hoop stats, I don't know why I can't say that smoothly. Well, first, she was first in defensive win shares per 40 minutes, better than anyone else in the league. She's finished second, third, fourth, third, and first in that stat in the last five years. If, if, if that doesn't explain to you 
her overall value on the court. I don't know what will, because this is a player that offensively is also extremely capable, doesn't hurt your spacing at all. She's really the perfect modern center. And it was just weird to me that people kind of felt like she, she dropped off this year. I, I didn't see that at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of it was, and I'm guilty of this too. Like, don't get it wrong. I was questioning what the hell is wrong with Tasha Howard. What's wrong with Tasha Howard through the first many games. Um, I think for me, at least, so I won't speak for everyone, but I think there was somewhat of a, a consensus of confusion between everybody in this league in regards to the fact that we were going into this season before the wobble, before everything, we expected to have a a, a one or two game. I'm, I'm blanking on it right now. I don't have it in front of me. Longer season than we've had in the past. And then all of a sudden, when we start the wobble, the the season is condensed. It's condensed to 22 games. And what that means, I, I'm no mathematician, no genius to figure out that each game is that much more important that, you know, if and I haven't seen anyone really write an article about this, but I think it's an interesting aspect. If you were, you know, a player who scored, let's say, 35 points in one game, that's going to bump up your average much better just because I don't care if you have a couple clunkers like that's just going to bump up your average. So I think for me, as as not an elite statistic mind, it's hard to kind of conceptualize this in the same realm in comparison to a normal, typical season. Now, it wasn't a typical season. That doesn't take away from the championship. That doesn't take away from the hard work. But going into the season early on, I think we saw Natasha Howard, who was a little bit not in game shape. And when I say that, I, I don't mean, you know, like she had put on 50 pounds or, you know, blah, blah, blah. What I mean is when I think back to the 2019 season and heck, for most of Natasha Howard's long career and being on three different championship teams now um, is just she never got tired. She was one of those players that had the nonstop motor, the ability to consistently, you know, even though she was banging down low with some of the biggest bigs in the league, she was also able, like you were talking about, she is that that great ideal modern center. She was also able to run the court, make some wildly athletic offensive plays and hustle back and get back on defense and then still have like there there just wasn't that element. So I think more so versus a situation of her dropping off skill set or production wise, I think it was much more so a situation of her, you know, the pandemic has affected us all in a plethora of ways for athletes. There's a specific thing that could have happened in regards to they weren't able to get to the gym going into the season. A lot of the athletes, you know, a lot of the talking heads were talking about the fact that we have to expect that there's going to be some low scoring games early on in the season or maybe, you know, this aspect of the game, uh, third quarter, fourth quarter is going to be a little bit out there just because players aren't in game shape yet. And I think she was kind of a, a victim of that. And she kind of took the brunt of of that logic, that that theology. But speaking forward, I mean, I think looking, I'm looking at the list right now, number four, number three, number two, and number one. I think there's a huge argument, call me crazy, to put her at any of those positions. And I say that because what we saw in 2019 is that she's the type of player who can be a number one or a number two threat on a good team, a playoff team. What we saw this year and two years ago and three years ago and four years ago is she can take on many different roles and she can be the number one threat. She can be the number two, the number three threat. It doesn't really matter. 
honestly. And I'm not saying that if she's your number one threat, you're going to go out and win a championship right away. I don't necessarily think that there, besides, all right, I'll say this. I don't think there's many players in the league that if you pick up that player in free agency, all of a sudden you can win a championship no matter what your roster is. You can argue maybe if Stewie was a free agent, maybe if Asia was a free agent, you know, whatever it is, fine. We can talk about that. Um, But I just think, you know, looking at her, she's not going to, you know, completely change your shift, but throw her on a New York. Heck, throw her on uh, Dallas. Throw her on, honestly, a team that I think would be a great fit for her would be Indiana. Um, Whether or not that means Tierra McCowan's still on the team is is not here nor there. That would be a whole nother conversation. I just think she's one of those players that very much so has the ability to completely change the projection of a team. A hundred percent. I mean, the top five really is interchangeable. You could flip it. Howard could easily be number one on this list. And I think that'd be very defensible. And I think that, you know, you brought up a very good point in terms of kind of having to play yourself into game shape Uh, this season. I think we definitely saw that early in the year, maybe a little bit more choppy play. But again, even all the more reason to kind of go back now that we've had some time to to really you know, think about and just kind of sit on the 2020 season and reflect uh, all the more reason to go back and, and just look at her performance as a whole. And, and, and mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, shouldering a burden and in terms of, of, you know, playing extremely hard, you know, playing with that motor that, that she's kind of known for, she is the one shouldering the heaviest defensive burden on the Seattle storm, the best defensive team in basketball and, and a team that really generates a whole lot of their offense off of, you know, chaos on defense and, and turning tor- turnovers into points. And I think it just must be mentioned whenever we talk about Natasha Howard that Brianna Stewart can't have the incredible comeback season that she had this past year if Natasha Howard is not on that team. Because in the playoffs, it's Natasha Howard who is guarding Asia Wilson. It's Natasha Howard who is guarding Candace Parker. Um, and, and that's extremely valuable because, you know, Brianna Stewart can do a lot more on the offensive end when she's guarding Carolyn Swords. That's not, that's not a matchup that's really going to drain your energy on the defensive end. Um, and so I think that Natasha Howard de- deserves, you know, quite, quite a, a bit of credit for, for taking the best player on the opposing front court night in and night out. And then I think as far as availability is concerned, because you're right, you know, Howard plugs into just about any team uh, really, really well. I think Indiana is a perfect example of a team that just, you know, has this idea and, 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 and has this vision of them being like a super up and down, fast paced, chucking threes type of team. And, and that just wasn't the reality this year as much as they wanted it to be. They, they still were playing at a pretty lethargic pace. And I think that Natasha Howard is someone who would completely transform, you know, that team at the five position. Um, but I think it must be mentioned here that I did these rankings before we have any information in terms of uh, who teams are going to core. So I think that Natasha Howard is a probably pretty likely example of someone who Seattle's going to want the exclusive negotiating rights with and is really going to want to bring back. I think that that um, they're probably going to have to make a decision. Alicia Clark, Natasha Howard, or Sammy Whitcomb, I, I, you know, someone who's a, who's a better cap expert than I might 
have figured out a, a way to pull off the the gymnastics to get all three of those players back. But I don't think that's all that feasible unless one of them takes a significant pay cut. And so the clear avenue forward is you do whatever you can to secure Howard and to secure Clark. And then as good and as valuable as Sammy Whitcomb is, and I think she's a really valuable piece, she's probably going to be the cap casualty for the storm this uh, this offseason. Which, which is an interesting aspect because she's the restricted free agent of these. So, you know, I, I completely agree. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're Seattle, you're looking at this and you're saying Natasha Howard has to be our number one piece, at least in my opinion of who we bring back. But even more so, like in, in a moment, I'm going to skip down to number four and, and talk about how I very clearly think just in terms of longevity of the future I would put Natasha Howard above our number four Neka Agumake just for the sake of I think Natasha Howard is probably going to be in this league a little bit longer career-wise um but that that I mean that's just me that's just what I'm what I'm thinking and and honestly I think if you're whatever we'll get into Neka let's talk Neka because <laughs> Neka's number four break me down why I think I th- this whole conversation could go in so many different ways, and I don't want to drag on the podcast for for two hours just talking about the number four, number five, and the number four uh, before we even get to the top three. So, talk to me about Neca. What your thoughts were in putting Neca at the number four? Two hours is light work. We could go a lot farther than two hours. I know, right? <laughs> Here's what I'll say about putting Neca above Natasha Howard, and I think that you're you're entirely right that Howard is younger and will be in this league longer. And uh, she really, well, we're dealing with honestly, sort of similar players. They're not similar at all. And yet they are similar. If you just kind of look at statistical profile, if you're just looking kind of rather vaguely about how pieces fit on a basketball court, then Neka Agumake provides some of the same things that Natasha Howard provides. Uh, They are both elite defenders, truly the best of the best. They both space the floor at the five position, which is is really like it's how you have to to divide modern centers these days is basically do you stretch the floor or do you do all of your offensive work in the paint? And Neka Gumake is such a, a fascinating example because I think probably if I if I had to pinpoint it to a specific thing, the reason why I put her higher on this list is that I actually think offensively where she doesn't really get as much shine as for what she does on the defensive end. I think offensively, she's just, she can really do anything and yet she's not taking up, you know, she's not gobbling up uh, a super high usage percentage. The ball's not sticking to her hands at all, but her, her shooting percentages are immaculate. Like she, she really knocks down threes. She doesn't take very many at all. But I think over the course of her career, that's something that that we've seen is she's she's become really accurate from three. She also is someone who can do the traditional center thing on offense. She's so smart about how she uses her body in the paint, about how she kind of seals off defenders and the way that she posts up so that she can kind of maximize her her scoring chances. Um and then I think I think probably the the final element of why I have her four over Natasha Howard's five, and it's splitting hairs. They're both incredible players, but it's just the kind of overall. I touched on this in the article a little bit. It's the overall leadership thing. I think that there's some you know 
quality that's unable to be quantified. You can't pin it exactly, but the sparks, look at what happened to the sparks. And again, you can't pin it all on, on NECA being out, but look at what happened to the sparks in the playoffs when she didn't play. They absolutely crumbled. They did not know what to do and Connecticut played them off the floor. And Candace Parker played really, really well in that game, but no one else stepped up. And I think that there's just a stability that that NECA provides when she's out there on the floor that, to me, she's clearly the, the best leader in the game. I, I touched on this in the article that, that when we think about the word leader, everyone thinks about point guards. And that's that's, you know, fairly understandable because that's the role of a point guard is to lead. Uh, but NECA leads you know, defensively from the five position better than just about anyone. Uh, and I think that that when she's not on the floor, just from kind of a, uh, a standpoint of, of game planning and scheming the opponent, I think that the team really, really suffered when she sat. And so that's kind of why she she's a little bit higher, despite the fact that she's older. That's why I have her at number four. I think you can't really quantify the leadership that she brings. Um, but I think that's just, I think that's just so, so huge. It's interesting. Cause while you're talking, uh, I was the whole time thinking if we could do a little exercise of you swap Natasha Howard and NECA, assuming both of them play perfectly healthy seasons, no one misses any games in my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm curious before I give my answer, do you think like which, uh, you know, swapping Howard, swapping NECA, same roster, same everything. Do you think that that may like which team do you think becomes better? Better, you know what I mean? Like yeah. which team has a better growth after that move? Um, I'm, I'll let you go first, just because I'm curious your thoughts when I say that. We're gonna get to that question in a moment, but before we do that, I want to remind you. Winsiders your one-stop shop for all your WNBA news and conversation, but we can't do it without your help. Become a subscriber at patreon.com backslash winsider. For just a few dollars a month, you can directly help grow the game. And don't forget to hit subscribe on this podcast and on The Floor Game by Ben Dole, presented by Winsider. Man, that is, a, that is an impossible question. A fantastic question. A question right up my alley. I love it. I think I'd say, and this is probably an unpopular answer, I think I I think I would say that Seattle gets better, which seems which seems weird to say, um, but I think that Seattle gets better uh, just because again of that like stability in the in the playoffs. And again, it's like I don't know pitting them against each other just makes me feel icky because they both played so well this season. And I think they both provide again, as I said, a lot of the the same benefits to their team. But I'm just envisioning Neka Gumake next to Brianna Stewart, Alicia Clark, Jewel Lloyd, and Sue Bird. I mean, you're telling me that that wouldn't be like arguably like the greatest team ever constructed? I don't know. I, I, I just it's it's tough for me to say. I think that the pedigree of of Agumake is is just too it's too great, and 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 I can't forget that like going into this season. You know, I picked NECA to win MVP. I was going to pick Asia Wilson, and then there were murmurs about, is she healthy, the ankle, blah, blah, blah. That turned out to be, you know, a load of hogwash. But I I, I can't just go back on the fact that entering this season, it was very valid to say that that I thought that NECA might 
be the most valuable player in the league. I still think that she she has that in her a hundred percent. I mean, she she she's she's a mainstay on all defense, um, and and obviously, I think if you put Natasha Howard on the Sparks, uh, that would be super intriguing too. But I don't know the 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 thought of of Neck on on Seattle, man. You you kind of blew my mind with that one. Well, yeah, exactly. I was just thinking about it and I was just like, oh, shit, that's just excuse my language. That's just like the the rabbit hole of of circular thinking of, well, this and then whatever. Honestly, I, I'm glad you, you feel that way. My initial thought, my gut reaction is that while Seattle, I think both teams immediately become better and and call Agreed. me crazy, call me whatever. Um, I, I do think that the growth we would see from L.A., would be slightly better. And that, that's not a knock to NECA. It's honestly just a situation of I'm thinking about the pairing of Candace Parker and Natasha Howard. I'm thinking about the the ability for to use Natasha Howard's skill set and size and that ability to stretch the floor a little bit more. And like this isn't a knock to anybody. Natasha Howard is just a a. a a faster player than, than Neka Gumake. And that's not a knock Neka. And, and Neka's always, you know, she's always been a little bit undersized to be a tr- like that true big, big. Um, but she's made up for it with basketball IQ, great footwork, um, leadership and, and so many and, and effort and, and, and hard work. And there's so many things that make her game great. So I'm not knocking her at all, but I, I'm flipping it on you. I, I got to think that LA uh, probably does better. Do I think that now we're talking about a difference of the final the final outcome of the the playoffs? Possibly, honestly, just because I think having Natasha Howard. But again, if we're talking about a healthy Neka Gumake would have been on that team. That's a completely different story. Anyways, sorry to go down that rabbit hole with you guys. <laughs> Number three on our list is Liz Cambage, um, a player who. I think a lot of people could argue and say she's definitely number one. She's number one. You know, she has the record for most points in a in a seat in a game. Excuse me. Um, she was dominant on Dallas. She's dominant here. She's one of the most uh, dominant players in the league. But I think we need to be reminded of a a question mark just in regard to her commitment to playing in the W. And I'm not saying that to knock her. I'm saying it quite frankly because she's publicly stated it. Um, and. A, if she's on another team, would she be as committed to being on that team as she has openly stated she is for the Las Vegas Aces? Um, you know, she disappeared. She didn't want to be in Tulsa, so she disappeared from the league for a few years. She finally came back uh, when they had removed, relocated uh, to Dallas. But at the end of the day, that's a huge knock to the player and not not a knock in the sense of like I'm talking negative about her. It's just a matter of fact, like if there's a assuming everyone's healthy, 100% chance of every other play, every player in this list besides Liz, you know, playing this coming season in the W, that just naturally is an advantage to those players. So that has to be included in it. But break me down, Liz Cambage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll use this as a transition from our, our you know, conversation about, about NECA and Natasha here real quick, because I think this is interesting when you're looking at centers and, and the way they fit on different rosters in the league. Just to tie up the, the conversation we were previously having on four and five, I think you brought up a great point, which is that Natasha Howard, if she was paired alongside Candace Parker, that fit of four and five is very natural. Because Natasha Howard as a five actually kind of likes to receive the ball on the perimeter 
and attack from there. Candace is a little bit better in the paint. And then the flip side of that is if you if you put Neka Gumake on Seattle, she's someone that prefers operating in the paint, even though she can shoot threes. And Brianna Stewart is someone who prefers getting the ball on the perimeter and attacking. So actually those fits really do, I think, elevate both teams' ceilings in this weird hypothetical world we've created. Now, the transition into number three in Liz Cambage is, yes, this is an extremely dominant player, someone who can go off for over 50 points in a game, as we have seen. And she clearly raises the ceiling of any team you place her on. But fit-wise, it just does not work with every other four in the league And the main four I'm talking about is the MVP of the league. And so when you are on a roster where the two best, clearly the two best players on your team play the four and the five, and they don't totally mesh from a, from an offensive spacing standpoint, that is a little bit of a problem and you can play through it. You can absolutely play through it because we saw Las Vegas in 2019 take a historically good Washington Mystics team, one of the greatest teams of all time. We we saw them be very competitive in that series. There wasn't really a second where I thought the Aces were legitimately going to win, but there were games where I was like, oh, they're, they're, they're completely holding their own here. So you can make it work with Cambage and Wilson in your front court, but I think it must be said that that Asia at the five and Dierica Hamby at the four is just a much more natural fit. When you have somebody like Wilson who just doesn't shoot threes and all the power to her, she's the MVP. She's absolutely dominant on both sides of the ball. And there's no need for her to extend her range beyond the three point line. Uh, Then you probably want to play her next to somebody who's really comfortable knocking down threes and who you kind of want on the perimeter. And while Liz Cambage undeniably is capable of knocking down three-point shots, she's not someone you want on the perimeter. She's someone that the opposing coach wants on the perimeter because that means she's not bullying your fours and your fives in the paint into the restricted area and getting easy twos, easy and ones, getting to the foul line, which is what both Cambage and Wilson do so well. So I think that this is just a fascinating conversation because there are so many elements. I called her the wild card in my piece because as you said, you know, and she's entirely deserved, you know, this, she kind of can decide where she wants to play. And I think that that, that as you said, it has to be mentioned in terms of her overall value um, because you just don't, the fit isn't automatic. It's not going to be an automatic fit. If you get the right fit, the, the sky's the limit. But, but the fit isn't straightforward in the way that plugging Natasha Howard or Neka Gumake into other rosters and, and, and viewing what they could hypothetically achieve. It's just not that simple with Liz. Oh, yeah. And, and even to like expand on that, I would say the other thing is with Natasha Howard, with, with a lot of these players who have, you know, gone to the championship game, gone to crazy heights, whatever it is, and been successful. Whether like, yes, Liz Cambage and Las Vegas Aces were able to go to the semifinals uh two years ago. But I, I still have that sense of like, I'm not one thousand and and call me crazy, call me a horrible WNBA mind. I'm not one thousand percent 
comfortable or confident in saying which team Liz Cambage would truly fit with. You know, I, I, granted, I'm saying that, but I also on um, the other side of me is like, well, New York. New but York. I, I, I can throw so many players to New York. Mm-hmm. New York, honestly, Indiana, honestly, there's a lot of players who fit into uh, similar roles. But I think New York kind of fits the best for her because yes. they're looking for that big who is a big but can also shoot the three, which is kind of Liz's thing. An aspect of her game that I, I always think goes unnoticed is her agility. Um, she's much lighter on her feet than you would think based on her size. Yes. I remember her first game, uh, a few years ago when she came back, I remember watching the game and just being floored at her ability to, you know, move under arms, to, to swing around, to, to move so quickly in the paint. And, and I know she likes to pride herself in being a point center. Um, I, 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 I scoff at kind of that comment as as I'm much more of a, a traditional position guy. Like if you want to hop out of your position for a little bit, do si do around, do whatever it is, cool. But like I'm very built into uh, one through five. That being said, I think that's an aspect of her game that really goes unnoticed. I'll, I'll flip it back to you. If you don't have anything else to say on Liz Cambage, let's talk number two, Alyssa Thomas. Yeah, so Alyssa Thomas, again, Another interesting example here, because this is something I was going to bring up with Cambage real quick. If you look at, we can even extend this past my top five to the, excuse me, to the top six. I think if you look at the the top six players that I've listed, Liz Cambage is the worst defender of the top six, which is kind of a wild thing to consider because Liz Cambage is not a bad defender at all. She consistently is one of the best shot blockers in the league. She, you don't really think of her as a shot blocker, you know, swatting shots in the, in the way that some of the premier shot blockers, um, you know, come to mind. But in terms of her advanced, you know, her block rate block percentages, she's, she's one of the best in the league and, and she's not at all, you know, a net negative on defense. She's, she's probably somewhere between average to above average. Um, and yet still, on this list, she is like in, in among the top five, pretty clearly to me the worst defender, and that's just interesting. It's a it's it's a great time to be a fan of women's basketball. There's so much two way talent in this league that it made it so difficult for me making these rankings because a thing I'm constantly saying is we have to consider defense as much as we consider offense. I think people just don't because. It's, it's natural when you're watching a basketball game. It's more fun and easier to kind of consider offense and, and, and quantify it. Um, but we have to keep that in mind, and that serves as a transition to number two on this list, who I think is, is the premier pick-and-roll defender in the league, Alyssa Thomas of Connecticut. She is someone who, you know, despite the fact that Connecticut kind of ran out of steam in, in Game 5 of the semifinals, She's someone that, to me, was the clear winner of the playoffs this season. She was someone who elevated her game when her team needed it most and basically willed them to, to you know, an absolute grind of a five-game series against Las Vegas. And a lot of the, the way that she did that was with her stifling defense, her very versatile defense. I think that pick and rolls are kind of the, the basis of every you know, modern basketball offense and and really not even modern. You can go back decades and pick and rolls are pretty essential to teams offensive attacks. And when you have Alyssa Thomas, you know, guarding the big in a pick and roll, 
you're really well off. You can feel really good about that because you know that she's going to make the right read, make the right play 99% of the time. And that is why Connecticut got as far as they did, despite the fact that offensively their output was really, really scattered and you couldn't really rely on on anything from a night-to-night basis. Now, obviously, to be number two on this list, you also have to provide offensive value. And, and Alyssa Thomas, despite the fact that that she can't shoot like basically everyone else on this list. Uh, she does She does everything else really well. She's an elite rebounder. You can really invert her pick, uh, pick and roll wise on the offensive end. You can have her be the ball handler and have a guard set the screen for her. And she still will really collapse the defense and can make the right pass. Um, so I think that she, she just provides so much. And I think, you know, for anyone on this list, I think she's probably the least interesting person to consider in terms of like, where is she going to go? Because it just seems so obvious to me that she'll be right back in Connecticut. Um, you know, you have, have more sources than I do in, in this regard. So I don't know if you agree or disagree with that last statement, but to me, it's like so clear you bring back Alyssa Thomas at the max and figure everything else out after that. Well, I think if, if, if you just look at who their, their big three would be, it would what it would be John Quill Jones, Alyssa Thomas, and Dewana Bonner. That sounds like a championship contention team to me. Um, I think if you're the Connecticut Sun, you know, a lot of people kind of thought that they were pushing all the chips in for this this past season in the bubble. I don't really see it that way because when you talk about Kurt Miller and when you speak to Kurt Miller, so often he talks in like the way he thinks is much more in a plan. So, you know, years down the road, and and I'm not talking like, oh, 10 years down the road will be a championship contention. When he took over in Connecticut with the roster that he had, they made some moves and he stood there and he said, three, four years down the road, we're going to be in the championship. Three, four years down the road, they were in the finals. Uh, They were in the championship. They lost it in game five against DC, a tough loss. Um, And honestly, it was one of those situations where it was like, okay, you know where this this team has run its course. They made some adjustments. They need to bring on a little bit more star power. They need to bring on somebody with the likes of Dewana Bonner. And now you're sitting there and going, okay, I don't think they went into last season saying we're going to the finals this year. When it like I, they obviously didn't think that they're going to start off zero and five either. But when you get to the end of the season, you're sitting there in game five of the semifinals, and you're going, holy crap, we could actually be in the finals. I think they outkicked the coverage. They very easily, if they had just a little bit more in the tank, they could have been in the WNBA finals this past season. Didn't end up that way. I would be shocked to see her move to a different team just because it looks to me like Kurt Miller has found a way for her to play her best basketball and be as productive as she can. I know they have a great relationship. I know that her and Jasmine Thomas, her and John Quell, her like this roster is a very close roster. So I fully expect her back also. And I think an interesting aspect of it is just what you said. She willed her team. When you have a player on your team that can, to a degree, say, you know, the Kirby Puckett line, jump on my back and I will carry you to victory. Like, that's what she did. It it wasn't because she was on fire and she was hitting every single shot. It wasn't because, you know, her jump shot was wet. Like, at the end of the day, it was because she wanted it more than everybody else on the court. And she made the rest of her team play that style of basketball. She's an amazing player. Um, She, I mean, she's doing, she's adjust completely adjusted her game without two working shoulders. I know a lot of people will say, 
oh, well, why doesn't she like, take some time off and get healed up? Honestly, like she probably, I, this is no source or anything like that. My assumption is she says, I have so many more years left in my career. I'm going to play it through yeah. unless something crazy comes up because I found a way of playing like this and being successful and arguably being the best player, the best version of herself she ever has been. So I think it's kind of naive to sit there and go, well, if she, if, you know, if she got the surgery and her shoulders were healed, you know, a year and a half later after, or whatever the recovery time is, then finally she would be a better player. Like, what is a better player? We're literally talking about her being the number two free agent in the league. And you could very easily argue number one because of what we just spoke about, her ability to will her team forward. And the number one person in this is somebody who, well, got beat by Alyssa Thomas two years in a row. So yeah. let's talk number one. Who is the number one person on your free agency list? Absolutely. Yeah. The number one person, you already know her, CP3, the legend. Uh, a, you know, a, a, a player with a ring, player with an MVP, rookie of the year. She's she's got it all. And and I mean, this is interesting because you're right. I honestly didn't even think of that. The the Connecticut Los Angeles, you know, little I wouldn't really call it a rivalry yet, but it's like they've you know, they've played. Wait, 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 wait. So he, he, wait, here's the thing, actually, though, just I wouldn't call it a rivalry either. But like if there was a like right now. What do, what would you say is the best rivalry in the W? If if you had to pick one. Oh man, this, this, that's my point. Well, that, it, that it took you that long to think about it. Four years ago, three years ago, you would immediately say Minnesota Lynx, LA Sparks. A couple of years before that, you would say uh, Minnesota Lynx, Phoenix Mercury. You know, throughout history, there's been these different rivalries. So often after a few years when the teams change, it's hard to kind of continue that rivalry because we don't have that the the history of the NFL or the division play of the NFL where you can really build that rivalry like the Bears and the Packers or, you know, I don't even know the the Redskins and the Cowboys like those things were built up over years and because of divisionness for me. When I look at the W right now, whether or not the players acknowledge it or the coaches acknowledge it, honestly, anytime Connecticut and L.A. are facing off, obviously you still tune in for Minnesota, L.A., but anytime Connecticut and L.A. are facing off, even though L.A. is what, 0-4 over the last four playoff games that they've played, yeah. I still tune in because I have to imagine there is an extremely sour taste in L.A.'s mouth when you talk about Connecticut. And something tells me that Connecticut takes a lot of pride and joy in beating L.A. And you, we're not even talking about Shanae Gumake uh, being on both of those teams. So, yeah, no, totally. I, I completely agree. You know, thinking about it a little more, it's like you're you're completely right. I think that if I was going to put, you know, a, a WNBA rivalry up top right now, I, it would probably be something involving Vegas. I'd either choose Vegas, Chicago, which, again, does not have the 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 real like. I hate playing this team element that perhaps the Connecticut LA quote unquote rivalry does. That's a little bit more a function of just Chicago and Vegas have played some really entertaining uh, high profile games over the last two years. And then Vegas and Washington is another one that I think like was starting to get pretty frisky. And then it just, it, it, it got disrupted because 2020 was, has been such an odd year and, and a lot of the, the principal players on those two teams were not playing in 2020. So 
you know, a lot of the steam got taken out of that rivalry. But but to tie it back into to LA versus Connecticut, I think you're entirely right. Uh, there's a lot of pride that goes with beating the team from the bigger market that gets more buzz and that has more of the, the big name players. And so I'm sure if Alyssa Thomas ever read this list, which she won't, she she would, you know, funnel funnel her number two ranking into some motivation to continue you know, beating up on, on the sparks, but I think this is pretty fair, right? Like if, if we're looking at, at the, the complete season, there's only one player on this list to me personally, there's only one player who you could argue could have been the MVP of the league this year. And, and, and it's Candace Parker. To me, she was number two um, behind Wilson in the, in the, in the MVP voting, uh, again, it's it's just a it's just because of that two way burden that she carries night after night to to be the age that Candace Parker is, and I understand it was a single site season, and so there was no travel involved, but it was also a really grueling condensed schedule. Candace Parker did not miss a game. She absolutely showed up against Connecticut. Was basically the only one on her team that did, and she kind of like Natasha Howard is guarding the best player in the in the opposing front court night after night. I don't think you can talk about like say the MVP discussion without mentioning that Candace Parker guards Brianna Stewart and Stewart doesn't guard Candace when those two teams face off. Now, again, that's not to to knock Stewie in any way because that's just team basketball. It makes sense for Seattle to put Natasha Howard on the best opposing offensive player. But it's just a fact that Candace Parker defensively has been elite for her entire career. She somehow seems to only be getting better defensively and she's guarding the opposing team's best player. And then you consider what she does offensively for her, for you. The fact that, that she's a, a, an expert passer from the four position, which is an extremely valuable, valuable skill for a big to have maybe the most valuable skill. If you can shoot and pass, as a four or a five, it takes the offensive ceiling of your team to a completely different level. And so that's why she's still number one for me. She reigns supreme. And I don't really care if people are like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You know, she's, she's 34, whatever. To me, it's like, and I mentioned this in the article and, and correct me if you disagree. To me, the, 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 the landscape of, of 2021 is wide open. Anyone could win the title. I think that there are eight teams that, that feel like they should be in the mix for a final spot. Now, I don't think realistically at all that there are eight teams that can actually win the finals in 2021. But the fact that we're talking about two-thirds of the league as having finals aspirations, it's like you got to go for it now. You got to strike while the iron is hot. And so in the next, say, two to three year window, even if Candace Parker is not a lock for the four year max, the way Alyssa Thomas is, I'm still placing her one spot above because next year you want to go out and win that title. This is the player to me that will help you do that more than anyone else. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'll, I'll even, you know, make my ridiculous comment that I've already been shamed for before. My MVP this past season was Candace Parker. Uh, like, it wasn't Asia Wilson, not to knock Asia Wilson. It wasn't Brianna Stewart, not to knock Brianna Stewart. For me, it was a situation, like, if you're asking me, you have to be a top four team. Um, you got to typically, like, I, I just think it, it's, 
it's kind of outplay or outdone, overdone, whatever you want to call it, that we always give it to one, a player from the top two teams or heck, even the best player from the number one seeded team going into the playoffs. I find that ridiculous. Excuse me. I find it that we're talking about value here. And I know a lot of people have talked about most important player, most valuable player being different things and blah, blah, blah. But like Candace Parker, if you look throughout the season, Neka Gumake had some injuries. She, when she was playing, she was playing well, but there was also a few games where she was just a bystander. Chelsea Gray had a really down season. Um, looking at some of the other players on this roster, you know, they were missing Christy Tolliver. They were missing Maria Vidiva. They brought in a, a plethora of young stars, unsigned draft players. Uh, they had, you know, uh, uh, Brittany Sykes blanking on some names right now. It's just some we've just gone through like every team. So I'm thinking of like every player in the league. But you you talk about this LA team and like honestly, if if you ask me, the three best players on this LA team this past season, and one of them is extremely biased, so I'll get it out of the way. Simone Augustus. Yeah, I know she didn't have the greatest of seasons, but here's the thing: her three point percentage was through the roof. There was multiple Whoa. games early on in the season where she was the reason that this team was still around. You didn't see, you know, NECA, Candice, or other people screaming at the players in the huddles. What you saw was Candace Parker and Simone Augustus at a certain point step up and say, like, we're just coasting. We know we have skill and talent on this team, but we're just coasting, and we're not going to, like, us as individuals are not going to do that. So I, I think Simone Augustus, Brittany Sykes, and Candace Parker were the best players on the team. And due to that, due to the fact that, you know, Chelsea Gray and Neko Gumake weren't living up to, in my opinion, the hype and, and what they should have been playing at the level they should have been playing at. And then you flip it over and you look at Asia Wilson, who has a stacked roster. You know, I I kind of take away from what she was doing. And then you flip it over to uh, Brianna Stewart. And I, similarly, you know, you got Jewel Lloyd, Natasha Howard, Alicia Clark, like everybody on their starting five could have been in all all W, all offense, all defense, won many awards. Many players, Angel McCautry could have won awards, right? Uh, Derek Hamby did win awards. There was, you know, multiple players. Yes, they were missing Liz Cambage. Yes, they were missing Kelsey Plum. But I still feel like just in regards to how well the people on their team were playing that season, for me, the boat was afloat for the LA Sparks because of Candace Parker's play. Far and beyond. So yeah, I'm crazy. Yeah, I'm going out of left field. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm reaching and I'm I'm pulling out a player who probably was number like four or five in a lot of people's MVP votes. But that's just where I'm at. Any final thoughts on this list, Candace Parker or anybody else? You just threw it. I mean, you, <laughs> the curve of all curveballs, right? <laughs> you just threw my head for a loop there. Any final thoughts? And now I've got like 17 things I want to say. Uh, let me just address a couple things super briefly here because I know we have to wrap up. Uh, number one, I, I totally disagree uh, about the supporting cast thing. I think that, yes, Dierica Hamby and, and Angel McCautry were incredible and, and you know deserve certain awards this year. But I think four through the end of the bench for Las Vegas was an, not a train wreck. Like I'm, I'm the biggest Jackie Young fan. I think that Kayla McBride... Uh, you know, struggled with other things this year and is totally understandable. There's no way I'm going to bash her. But let me just say that I think that the Sparks depth was so far and away superior to Las Vegas's that that yes, I, I, I completely am with you 
Candace was providing all this two-way value. Um, but I, I, I don't see that as a, as a fair argument at all in terms of prioritizing her MVP case over Asia's. Um, and, and then as far watch me kill you, with, watch me kill you with kindness real quick and just say, I completely respect your opinion. I think you're a moron and you're wrong. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I completely hear. It. And honestly, I totally spaced on mentioning Jackie Young. She was the player on the tip of my tongue uh, that I couldn't get out of there, but I completely agree. I mean, look, if you look at Sugar Rogers down year from the three point line, Kayla McBride down year, Carolyn swords, whatever D Rob had an up year in my opinion, but, and then, yeah, you have to bring on Emma Cannon uh, and, and some other players, Sierra Burdick and things like that. But no, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it's a legitimate argument. Yeah, it, was just, it was just tough. I mean, I, I just can't forget what Asia did against Connecticut, you know, in that game five, one of the, the you know, ugliest games of basketball of the season. Uh, but but also one of the most impressive just in terms of her. You know, we, we, we constantly talk about like Alyssa Thomas willing her team to victory, wanting it more than anyone else because it's so like visceral, the, the effort that she brings. And I think that, that Asia doesn't get enough credit for, for doing the exact same thing for Las Vegas, just willing them to the finals despite everything kind of going against her. She got an absurd tech in that game. And you know how I feel about, you know, Bill Ambeer's rotation, et cetera, et cetera. We're getting the weeds. Um, but 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 I I do feel that way. And then the other thing was, you know, I adore Money Moan. I know you think she's the GOAT. She she's she's an absolute legend. There's no way that she was that she was more important to what they did than than NECA this year. I mean, to me, the clear top three for this team was was Parker, Agumake, and Sykes. Um, I think those were the the players that really elevated them to another level. And then I think you can talk about Chelsea Gray. Then you can talk about Simone. Uh, obviously, you know, a legend. I, I got I got no qualms with the love for Money Moan. Uh, but I just don't think that we can we can say that she was the third most impactful player on the team this year uh, and and exclude NECA, who who I believe to be, you know, obviously she's number four on my list. So I, I, I got quite a lot of love for her game as well. Hey, and and nothing that you said, you know, makes me want to kill you. I think these debates are, are an aspect of the W that kind of goes over not goes over people's head, but people just kind of don't have because they feel like they need to be respectful or whatever. And and let's be clear. If anybody is going to be biased in a positive way for Simone Augustus, it's going to be me. Oh. So you, anytime you hear me talking about Simone, you know, you got to take it with a little grain of salt because of, of the high level of respect and confidence and admiration I have for her. That being said, I'm always completely upfront about it. Um, but And I hear what you're saying. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, I mean, this was fun. I totally agree with you. I think this is why I wrote this list is like, there's not going to be a definitive rankings. You're, you're never going to land on something that, that appeases everyone. But I, I do, just like you said, kind of fostering these conversations where it's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're arguing very politely and kindly, whatever, but you are arguing. You're saying, Hey, I, I think that this player provides a little bit more value. Hey, I think this player is better. Hey, I think if you shifted these things around, it would function a lot more smoothly. I think those are the the questions that that are being tossed around in men's sports, you know, twenty four seven on every you know network known known to humankind, and uh, and it's what we have to start doing a little bit more on the other side of the ball is just kind of generating 
you know, fun discussions that, that, you know, uh, we could go on for, as, as we said earlier, we've already passed the hour mark, which is absurd. We could, we could keep going and we won't for your sake. Uh, but it, it's fun to have these conversations. And, and I think that's kind of why I, I wanted to write this list. And, and if anybody has any complaints about us going long on this, you can blame Miles on Twitter, Miles Ehrlich. Uh, as we always remind you, Windsider is your one-stop shop for all your WNBA news and conversations, but we can't do it without your help. Become a subscriber at patreon.com backslash Windsider. For just a few dollars a month, you can help show, support, and grow the game. Thank you so much, Owen. And we'll be back with more Windsider show episodes twice a week, hopefully, until the new year. Have a great one.